Hi everyone, welcome back to the Stars and Startups podcast. It's week 10 and episode 19 here on the pod with me, your host, Varun Vermini. Stars and Startups is a show where I chat with entrepreneurs, operators in high growth startups and interesting people doing cool things. It's a show that was born out of my love for business podcasts and to tap into the amazing set of people that uh, kind of pepper the Indian business ecosystem. Hope you've been enjoying the ride. So I have something special here. Um, we are approaching episode 20 in a week, uh, well, in a couple of days. Uh, and that episode is uh, with Matt Chitaranjan of Blutokai. So I have a contest, I have a giveaway. All you have to do is sign up to our Substack, uh, which is basically uh, my newsletter. So you can get uh, updated whenever I launch a new episode. So just go on to that link. It's uh, there in show notes. It's called stars.substack.com. So you can subscribe to my newsletter. And I need you to tag me on a social media post. It could be LinkedIn. It could be Instagram. It could be uh, Facebook. All you have to do is tag me and the podcast uh, on your channel of choice. And uh, yeah, just let me know. And I will put you into the lucky draw um, to receive a goodie bag from Blue Tokai. Yep, that's right. You will get coffee if you do get picked. So that's the contest. All you have to do is uh, subscribe, share and tag me on a post on social media and also subscribe to the Substack link. Okay, on today's episode, I chat with Bhavik Vasa. He's the ex-chief growth officer at It's Cash. He managed the It's Cash business after the acquisition by Ebix and he was instrumental in that journey. Bhavik and I discuss his journey and um, mindfulness and his latest venture, Get Vantage. We start off chatting about, um, you'll just hear in just a second. So when did you switch to uh, black t-shirts? Is that your now startup attire since you started Get Vantage? I think in startup bootcamp also you would have seen me like this. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, truth be said, uh, once I think the biggest weight of the shoulders is when you're instrumental or at least finally you get the market's validation that you were instrumental in a large exit. Right? And so I think uh, I was always this. Uh, but I think we were all putting on real mask, right? I mean, you're in financial services, talking with the bank, working with the banks in partnership or doing corporate sales. So I still would wear a shirt. Yeah. Um, but I think um, absolutely post uh, that transaction, I think you will see me a lot more. You have seen me in at least black for sure. <laughs> so I was still in a black collared, collared shirt uh, or a collared t-shirt. But... Um, no, this has been touch wood. Thankfully, this has been the get advantage look, and uh, it's staying. It's it's staying uh, so much, so much so that I get I get shouted at by uh, uh, Nandita. So she says, "Bhavik, you wear the same stuff to work, to meetings, and when we go out uh, to a dinner or clubbing, you're wearing the same thing." And I'm like, "Yeah, I just less less things to make a choice of." <laughs> uh, I, I think that's famously. Uh, I think most um, Silicon Valley CEOs now have made it kind of their mantra, right? How do I make less decisions? Uh, there's this gentleman 
in in uh, Switzerland, a friend of mine, uh, Cedric. Cedric owns only black items, not clothes, not just clothes, not just pants, <laughs> black items, and <laughs> and he personifies uh, minimalist living. Yes. I think he has twenty four items in his life. Wow! No, I, I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet, Varun. But yes, you will only see three colors in my wardrobe now. So it's black, grey, uh, and some shades of blue or white. Uh, that's it. And you will only see V-neck t-shirts. Uh, I do carry some shirts yet, to be honest. I but I, they'll always be those uh, very simple Chinese collar ones. But the colors remain same. So it's. It's denim. It's dark blue denim with uh, black, grey, uh, and and a white or blue. That's these are the only colors I own uh, in my wardrobe now. Uh, I've you know of course minimalist as you say right has been a, quite a strong influence for me. Uh, I'll tell you this changed because fundamentally it started feeling right that we just have so many choices and decisions to make. The last thing in the morning you want to start with is use up. You know we all have enough. Or limited amount of brain cells, and so the lesser that you use in making choices that are not um, uh, of top priority, uh, the lesser brain cells you use for the day, and exhausted you feel. Um, and so for me, the minimalist approach was at least make a start. So now all things I own come in one wardrobe. I don't have multiple drawers in the house, multiple rooms. It's all in whatever fits in my one wardrobe. And if it starts overflowing, things need to leave. Uh, I've not got to exact number of things, but yeah, I think I've started space constraining myself at least. But, but I'm guessing there was a point you decided this is the way it's going to be. Like, was there like a switch? No. So, so I think it started. It started from uh, and what a wonderful way to share my uh, 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 early part of my journey. Uh, uh, you know, in professional life, right? So. Uh, Started the career with Wells Fargo Bank, right? Again, I call my career all about stumbling into, right? Uh, I never thought I'd get into banking and financial services. Uh, it was just the best on-campus job, uh, third largest bank offers. You take it up, uh, and I stumbled into banking. Right? So, so this um, is after your gig. Uh, rather, you studied at in Florida, and then Wells Fargo I was went, in. Yes. Where yes. was it? So I went to school. Yeah, I did my undergrad at Northwood University in Florida. And uh, it was literally uh, uh, the option of an on-campus placement, or the choice of uh, Wells Fargo bringing me from the East Coast to the West Coast, and that's how I ended up. That's how I, I a stumbled into California and the Bay Area and the Valley, uh, and how I stumbled into banking and financial services. Um, and yeah, started Wells Fargo Bank. Could uh, be said, I think it was the best uh, foundation in financial services because they really. The first uh, uh, six months to a year is the perfect foundation of understanding financial services product and the entire uh, gamut of uh, how it works. Uh, so it was a great foundation layer, but I think my rebel started from there on. I was, you know, when you work in a, you are in the Bay Area, you are working in financial services, you have to wear a suit and tie, and I'm okay with everything else, but wearing a tie, wearing a not every day to work. Um, Yeah, I think so. Very early on, I said yes. There will be this early phase of my career where I'll have to do things, uh, but certainly not my type. And I need to find <laughs> my way suits, through it. How many suits did you own? So, and you probably had to shave every day, right? And, and yeah, yeah. So, 
So facial hair was not a possibility. Uh, had to wear, um, you know, and interestingly, it's okay if you don't wear a blazer or a jacket, but you had to wear a tie. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, so I ended up owning tons of ties, which I don't. I mean, I still kept the collection as a reminder that I'm never going to wear it, uh, but I don't use it anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, so in fact, I was always, in fact, to be honest, I was okay with wearing a blazer and shirt. Uh, but I had to lose the tie. So the first step was to get enough cred on the street uh, to be able to get to lose uh, lose the tie. And I think that's where the itch happened very quickly. And again, you know, look, coming from a business family, being in the Bay Area and the, in the Valley, being in the heart of it, um, had to jump into the first uh, tech company. And that's how, uh, you know, became the youngest founding member of this boutique tech company. And uh, I again call that journey a complete stumbling onto, right, Varun, because uh, uh, nothing fancy. We were an IT service. This was ISTS. This was ISTS, that's correct. And so it was a, a, you know, uh, IT services solution shop. And uh, I joined that play uh, literally uh, with no technology background. For me, Java was only coffee beans. I didn't know it was a programming language yet. And, uh, uh, but hustled away. And again, look, uh, uh, you know, uh, what the big boys would not take up as projects, that's when we started doing mobile payments uh, as early as 2005, right? With those Palm and BrickBerry phone, uh, you know, brick-sized BlackBerry phones. Uh, and that's when you started doing a lot of emerging payments, mobile technologies and, and digital wallets, uh, prepaid cards, working for the SafePays and the Blackhawks and the Visas uh, back in the Valley. And uh, that's how I say I stumbled into what was then known as emerging payments. And now, uh, you know, the more fun, sexier buzzword of fintech, right? That didn't exist back then. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a decade and a half journey post uh, in fintech, Warren, uh, before the word fintech was coined. Uh, interestingly, yeah. Babik, so, uh, you know, we've kind of jumped into the conversation right now. And yeah, I know. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, ask you this. So you're you're from Bombay, uh, yeah, and and you went to the US and you had these learnings when you were in the Bay Area, uh, and somewhere you moved from being a founding member to a founder yourself, which then again brought you back to India. Um, was that how it worked, and how did you end up at its cash? Sure. Um, ITZ cash. I don't know how you can say it. <laughs> no, it's cash. Uh, spent enough money trying to make sure that that word stuck. Uh, stumbled into the world of banking, financial services, but then got my chance to be uh, a very young early team member in a, in a tech shop. Um, and uh, we got a good exit in 2009, 10. Uh, ISTS uh, got acquired into Clear to Pay and FIS, the largest uh, processor in the payments world and the fintech world. Uh, and uh, contrary to a lot of opportunities that were opening up in uh, the Bay Area in the Valley, uh, I think it was more jingoism, Warren, than patriotism. I, I, I famously say this, uh, and then urge to uh, uh, want to do something back in India and want to build digital payments back in India. So that's when uh, we co-founded uh, a place called Radical Payments, uh, moved back to India, hustled my way, started raising. Uh, uh, you know, equity uh, got deals on the table, 
uh, we were going to be the first players trying to do a range of gift cards, prepaid cards, uh, and mobile wallets, uh, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, I remember coming back to India 2009, then you literally had a hand few uh, of angels and, and hand few of VCs, right? That's how shallow the startup ecosystem was. Uh, and that's when uh, really the option or the opportunity came in front of me where I was very clear that if we had to build something in digital payments, and India would now end up being a much longer cycle. And so when we were building this out, uh, and of course, uh, uh, a lot of uh, hustle on the side, working closely with leading players, and Cash was the leading player, it was already founded. But as Cash was trying to uh, uh, re uh, energize itself into new lines of business from being a traditional distribution play um, uh, to now also being a more product play in, in, in a suite of digital products. Um, that's when I realized that also India would need uh, to be more of a sustainability game. So it was not about if you're doing something new, uh, it's going to take time. And so it had to be a call between building a small ship outside myself or uh, being acquired into a larger ship uh, and really executing it in a big way. And that's where uh, its cash happened. And I think from there on, uh, the last decade was history. Just scaling that up, uh, we took uh, the business literally uh, to a 3 billion uh, payment volume business annually, uh, scaled that up, uh, and being very instrumental, I think, uh, interesting job title also that I picked up uh, right, uh, which is which is the core responsibility of being a chief growth officer, uh, being able to kind of really be instrumental in taking the business to a forty million revenue business, and actually most most importantly, uh, turning the corner in profitability. Right, that was a very very interesting time when uh, suddenly post two thousand sixteen demon happened. Uh, you had a huge buzz and mind share around. Uh, around uh, uh, digital payments. Uh, and I think, you know, amongst all that noise, uh, very interesting that we were the largest player, we were the earliest player uh, in this space. And it also was to prove that payments can be profitable and to turn, turn the corner uh, on making it profitable just before uh, the eventual exit. I what was its cash's actual business? Um, it was completely offline. Was it... Uh, had an offline, online kind of play. Uh, now the term seems to be digital, which you know. Is <laughs> we realized very early on that India is about India and Bharat. So I think famously, right? Uh, uh, you know, we can take some due credit for having coined the word digital, and uh, uh, really that was the the cash strategy. I think uh, very soon we uh, and early we realized that if if you have to look at India. It is to India's, right? It is the India and the Bharat. And when you need to deliver financial services to the larger masses, when you need to take financial services and transactions uh, to a larger set of the mass countries, uh, you have to have an omni-channel strategy. Uh, and that's where um, being able to reach consumers physically in their neighborhoods, right? But facilitating that reach with a digital layer, right? Uh, to allow consumers to uh, transact and do digital transactions, but still with uh, some amount of physical handholding and physical cash in the hand, right? And I think it's 
it's that ability to convert physical cash to give it a digital avatar. I think that sums up the its cash journey and uh, uh, the its cash offering, which was pretty pretty diverse. We were able to really use our distribution and reach to create a B two B two C play. Uh, and now look, all of these have become uh, uh, you know bigger buzzwords. Every brand starts using this strategy, uh, but really having that physical handholding, physical reach to the consumer, uh, and that B two B two C, where we were basically enabling a distribution network, franchisee, a mom and pop stop shop in the local areas. But but the transaction through and through was all digital. So it uh, worked. This cut across. So did it work similar to uh, say your Airtel recharge, uh, Postpay recharge? Like were those the same stores also? Uh, the enablers was that the B in the B two B. No, it was slightly it was slightly more premium than just the mobile top up network. Uh, I think the mobile top up network was the more smaller Panbiri shop or the Panwala in the in the neighborhood. Uh, no, these are slightly uh, you know more sophisticated MSMEs. Is that the right word? Uh, where they had a primary line of business, uh, they were your local travel agent shops. They would be a local grocery store, a jeweler shop, uh, but they were slightly sophisticated businesses because these were slightly more sophisticated financial transactions. Uh, so, above and beyond mobile recharges and bill payments, which are more straightforward use cases, uh, being able to facilitate consumers with uh, travel booking, train ticket booking, flight booking, uh, money transfer, domestic and then international. These are slightly more serious use cases that we we delivered and offered. Um, and in addition to that, of course, there were a range of digital uh, products. Uh, you know, we were the first prepaid cards, uh, which were open loop, uh, working on the Visa Mastercard network uh, or the mobile wallet, uh, which could then be topped up from these same channels. So the the beauty was that you had to go after a net new customer segment that had physical money. And you were converting that physical to a digital, rather than, you know, just bringing a customer that was already banked and bringing him from the bank account uh, and just adding a tech layer. This was beyond just adding a technology layer in your use case. So in this time, uh, a lot of the conversations around being digital also was tied to being an expensive use case uh, that you know didn't make money sense. Uh, given given the Payment margins that I'm well aware of, right? What you would get uh, in return. How did you make money sense of it? No, so I think I think that's the myth I wanted to bust right up front. Uh, when you are only playing in the digital to digital leg, you're getting into an already crowded space, uh, and you're, if you're not really adding a net new value in the supply chain. Right, you will never make margins. Then it's all about more pressure on that, you know, small fee or the interchange income or the merchant fee in the in the uh, payments world, right? But as I shared with you, we were a reaching out to a net new consumer who didn't have other options. Two, you're reaching out to a consumer that has physical cash and no other alternatives. So you're adding value. You're the the first step itself of turning his physical to digital, right? And reaching this. Corners and the neighborhoods where the customer does not have another option or a choice. So you start seeing that there you're not fighting with a crowded market. 
uh yes uh there is pressure uh, in the margins but also what you are able to do is you are able to now create a channel that sells on your behalf and that's when finally that final bridge right and we see every payments business has to do that get into more services more financial services and get into more use cases but that cross sell and upsell is easy in theory but very difficult to do right just making a new product live on an app does not do it doesn't get you transaction but when you have the same distributor network the channel partners uh, the customer not having another option to do that transaction uh, and now you start adding more services you actually see and so that's i think uh, at at the time that we were at the peak uh, of business uh, yes payments ultimately is all about volume game and that's why we had to reach a certain volume and that's where i shared varuna that it was first critical for us to clock 3 billion uh, us dollars annually in terms of payment volume once we crossed that threshold and got that kind of scale and volume uh, it was about making sure that we were uh, very strong with um, a revenue that was diversified across various use cases so we were not only dependent on one service or one use case and so when you look at a uh revenue of of 40 million plus across four five different use cases we crossed the journey of cross sell and upsell and i think that allowed us to turn the corner and and get into the green and profitable uh, because you could then start seeing margins uh, uh and healthier margins i mean the the a lot of the uh, conversations around this topic also uh, surrounds the fact that uh, india doesn't have enough enough depth in any particular business line and you need to build uh you know kind of horizontally is that true is that why this was the case uh it was absolutely true uh when we started the journey so i'm saying as early as 2010 11 uh i famously remember this was a saying uh, that we had in the key management team and leadership team that india is a inch deep mile wide market hence you have to very quickly get into various use cases or handle a customer and be able to offer multiple things but i think that uh, that certainly has changed now in the decade uh, it is definitely where i look at the next decade now being about uh, a lot more uh, specific purpose and special purpose use cases in financial services that you will be able to get and go deeper in uh, and i think this is always a cyclical Role. Uh, once you will have one decade, and this happens globally, and I've seen this in the valley as well, right? Uh, there'll be a decade where businesses have to start going horizontally, creating new use cases, new technologies coming in. Uh, but then you will have a next decade of going more specific and deeper in each use case. I've seen its cash uh, sponsor an IPL tournament. <laughs> um, what was the uh, you know rationale for that because you know uh, the main sponsorships are not are not cheap uh, was was that the going back to the two indias uh, you know discussion uh, rather we just had say uh, was this one way to get the brand or was it transactional nature saying hey this will enable us to stand out uh, from from the, the crowd or was it like you know, it will drive more transactions which will result in us getting better valuations etc um 
no i think i think it was it was more uh, about uh, looking inwards and seeing that in our journey what is the right time to go uh, to go out and spread the word i think the iskash journey can be broken up well into to uh, two parts right uh, so if you notice the first 10 years you know, the first decade of the journey uh, was very organic we built the business very organically we got to the volumes the numbers extremely organically uh, but once we were confident that we had the the balance sheets and the pnl in play right we turned the corner uh, and turned green on the bottom line it was as i was saying it was also then the apt time and opportunity to change a gear if you notice uh, we also came uh, you know so the brand had established in the first decade its organic nature and its trust and credibility in the market we were a known brand uh, from uh, being you know being around that long having a good legacy of being a trusted brand uh, but then absolutely as i said 2016 demonetization happened uh, digital payments became uh, a top of mind share for all stakeholders uh, government consumers uh, every every part of the ecosystem and uh, yeah it was it was 2017 the ipl season of 2017 that we we sponsored the punjab team and uh, yeah i i famously say i was on the road with the punjab team for uh, two months it was a fantastic experience being in the locker room with them as well uh but it was about changing that gear while it was about now letting its cash also being a brand name that uh, uh resonates and is visible uh its mass consumers across the um and uh, i think we 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 achieved that uh, uh at the right time though it was about pulling that trigger at the right time where uh, uh it made sense um and uh, followed on was uh, you know our uh, large mna transaction that happened with the evix group uh, which was also part of the strategy to then go into that next phase of uh, inorganic expansion and so really really what we were out in the market then is as you rightly saw having uh, planned the next decade to inorganically grow we saw that this is with the right time for you to consolidate the market uh and uh, uh add to the growth uh With, with some inorganic expansion, and so that's what triggered the uh, the large uh, acquisition from and with the big group. Hey guys, sorry for the interruption. Hope you've enjoyed the episode thus far. It's a gentle reminder to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're viewing or listening to the podcast. Don't forget, we also have a contest running. All you have to do is subscribe to the Substack newsletter, stars.substack.com, and also make a social media post. uh tagging the podcast uh be it linkedin facebook instagram wherever just link the podcast uh in in that post and you get a chance to win uh some coffee uh from pluto guy okay on with the episode um we've kind of reached the end of your journey with uh it's cash in you know kind of ebix i'm i'm guessing you uh my guess is that you wanted to kind of then take a break after ebix uh to do kind of uh i think your uh, you had a child you had a new uh, was that yeah. the trigger to say you know because because i've heard uh from from some folks who work with you say you know you're big on work life balance so yeah. was this <laughs> was this kind of like how 
you know, kind of the uh, exit from Ebix happened. Um, no, so look, uh, a of course we got we got the right partner uh, uh, with the right firepower in Ebix uh, to play out the strategy. Uh, Ebix chose me as a as a group. Ebix chose me, and uh, I continued to lead the India operations and that that. Uh, that strategy of consolidation so it was a great experience for the next year and a half not only integrating with cash and ebix uh re-christening it as ebix cash uh but also uh, being at the table uh, uh you know on the other side of the table now consolidating and being part of uh, i think close to what 12 acquisitions in in that many months wow. um uh, and so it was a great experience as an entrepreneur from always being on the side of the business, selling your business and your passion and your and your and your vision to then being more logical on the other side when you are acquiring, uh, and I think that was a great great uh, uh, addition in terms of uh, experience and expertise uh, for me personally, uh, and uh, I think I think it was also a responsibility um, as a leader uh, when you take a business to an, to its M and A and an acquisition. Uh, to also see some amount of your role in integrating uh, the businesses and playing a playing a role, and it's important. It it, it shows your responsibility as a um, entrepreneur, and I think uh, that was key for me to also make sure that I I did my role in making sure I was there long enough for that integration to happen. Uh, but then, as I told you, that uh, yes, uh, through my journey as uh, as uh, as a senior leader building businesses, being on that treadmill and at the front end of growth uh, of very, very dynamic and high growth businesses for more than a decade, I think another piece I've learned is not only do we have to be sustainable, but we have to learn to have and find our uh, balance. Uh, and that's where I openly say it's, we've actually got it wrong for many years. It's not work-life balance. The priority is always to be life-work balance in that order. Uh, and so life uh, is, is also that important because it's going to be a long journey. You have to take care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally. Uh, otherwise, you will not do justice if, if, if it's only work uh, uh, and if it's only business, right? Uh, you won't be able to survive long enough. And that's where um, it's about looking at being and prepping yourself to be a marathon runner than a sprint runner. And that's where my life works. And that's when I also found the right opportunity to step out and take a break, take a sabbatical from a decade long of uh, being on the treadmill uh, was when I had my first born around the corner. What better way to step out? Uh, I remember that uh, finally the group allowed me to step off professionally on the 1st of August and the 4th of August I had my uh, baby girl in my hands and uh, yeah, it was it was very clear that the the first few months, the first six months, I had to be hands-on with this new creation, the most important creation, uh, uh, and I had to be very hands-on like any other venture of mine. Uh, you're also a big proponent of mindfulness, and uh, you know, I, I've not heard that many founders. I, I mean, more now. I mean, I think there are a lot more people now being exposed uh, to mindfulness. I haven't heard this word being used so much. Uh, you know, I, sure. even even from even last year, right? It seems yeah. to be it seems to be a word of 2019, 2020. <laughs> no, I I, I think uh, what I lacked in years of experience, uh, being a young 
member growing businesses what i lacked in years of experience i gained because i put myself and surrounded myself with the right mentors and thankfully right from my mentor in my first venture as isps and my cto vivek avasti to to then my hcash journey with uh, with ashok goel and navin surya uh, these were much senior than me uh, older than me wiser than me as operators uh, who who also helped me uh uh very 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 uh, uh innately bring that amount of calmness bring that amount of mindfulness uh in my own journeys and i think that very well uh, was showcased uh in many a times uh you know building high growth ventures i think uh, uh varun i have to share this that what's also now become a little more fashionable in the last year um I think I've been a bigger proponent of it for a longer time which was we've been very addicted to hockey stick growth we've been very addicted to just one sided upward and linear growth uh and I think now more than any time else we all can reflect and start believing that we certainly can't predict the future we can't predict how we will come out of even the current scenario um but as we prepare ourselves we should prepare ourselves better with the mindfulness uh, of not only life work balance and looking at life as a marathon and not a sprint but also most importantly looking at life more as a cyclic and a circular right i think be it taoism be it uh, uh, meditation be it you know anything that you will believe and can work for you uh you will realize that in in uh, ancient philosophies in ancient uh, or eastern philosophies also it's always said look at life more circular and cyclic right then it's never about a high and a low right we have to get away from even graphs of of mountains and valleys but more as looking at everything very cyclic and if you look at life cyclic if you look at every situation cyclic it's never a good or bad time in hindsight everything looks so different is because it's always just a cycle and we have to just believe uh, uh and look at everything very cyclically and i think that's the mindfulness that i like to not only personally uh, uh use in in through my personal life and journey but if if we can bring that a little to the work bring that little to the organizations that we are building i think we'll just be far more uh calmer more sane more disciplined more mature uh ecosystem of startups uh, as we go into the next decade how did how did you kind of practice this at work though because i mean i'm curious because you know i mean uh, obviously every company wants the most out of their employees um and you know i mean you don't actually preach you know work or balance right uh but but you know you you do want uh, to squeeze the most i mean i was talking to uh someone yesterday who is having a really hard time at work especially now uh that they're working you know 9 10 hours then you know they have actually half their salary <laughs> how do you you know uh because i mean businesses can take advantage of situations uh how do you how do you bring that into and how do you keep that balance no and i i i i certainly want to uh not sound philosophically and give very high level answers but get very specific because you asked about work i think 
I think what you start seeing now is we've already seen a very very large cultural shift in India in the last decade, right? You practice this at work from saying, um, "I'll tell you," and I give more credit to my senior partners at this cash. Uh, about a decade ago, uh, it was unheard of uh, that businesses in in banking or in financial services would work only five day week and not work uh, at least Saturday or alternate Saturday, right? Uh, we from very early on made it a practice that weekends are off, right? Yes, you will have you will have rotation of staff because you will have operation staff working on certain Saturdays and weekends, but then you have a day off in the week. And I think it started from from way back there, even as an early business, even early in our growth cycle, making sure that you at least have some sort of a discipline. Uh, and I think it only boosts. We were we were questioned many times for that strategy, uh, but it boosted productivity. And I think now, in hindsight, when you see it, we take it for granted that now we don't work weekends. Uh, but it was a very big decision. Uh, uh, I can tell you, ten years ago. Uh, to to start from there, uh, and now even as we kind of um, grew into a larger business, I think the important part is that to be confident and secure as a leader first. That by pushing your employees or your team to only work longer hours is certainly not directly proportionate uh, to quality of work and outcome. And yes. Uh, uh there were sometimes when you know things and small practices like flexi hours small practices like uh, you know uh, taking off weekends or making sure that uh, you have curfew times of email replies right within teams uh while it started from some of those small interventions what we almost started seeing is during the calmer times when we didn't need people to work hard and we took uh certain of these relaxations and measures certainly at times of pressure when the business needed it uh people went that extra mile we all went that extra mile so it's not to say that when it's required you don't you don't push harder or you don't extend into but then it's of choice it's out of accountability and i think what we are also certainly seeing is that more of the millennial culture that comes into the workforce right uh what's 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 the uh, first thing that uh, um you know a lot of us and i think i'm not that old i i, I scrape into being a millennial we are the kids of the 80s but uh, certainly not of the 90s that we work with now um uh, i think that they prefer is the accountability uh, uh and that and that uh, ability to let them decide what's the right way and time for them to work and Talk about a rounded approach. Uh, it kind of brings me to your latest avatar, which is uh, get vantage, right? Your it's an alternative funding option. So we're saying that there's equity, there's debt, but we're saying now there's other options that are available today. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and and how you got started here? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it perfectly dovetails into into uh, exactly having shared my own personal experience. Um, I say this very, very openly that Get um, Wanted was not a eureka moment for for the team and me. Uh, it was not something that I woke up and said, "Perfect, this is the new gig, this is the next startup that I want to build." Uh, I think it was a culmination of my own journey, being at the front end of growth. 
for various uh, various, various digital businesses. Uh, and so to tell you, as it's cash, um, uh, we were uh, a high volume, high revenue business uh, growing. We were actually a, a growth stage startup. And even then, uh, for small chunks of requirements, banks and NBFCs or traditional lenders would ask us for collateral. Right? And that was my first trigger uh, in my own journey saying that the businesses of the today, the digital first businesses, right, are being built very asset light, right? Uh, and hence, their needs are very different. Uh, and how their risk needs to be assessed also has to be very different. Uh, and then, even as we kind of grew it, and I, I think another great example was uh, when we uh, started acquiring a bunch of other digital businesses, I actually uh, acquired and ran Wire.com, which is the third largest travel total uh, in our country. Uh, and we started uh, looking that uh, we were, you know, the highest requirement of spend on our PNL now, uh, as we were a larger digital business, uh, was actually uh, digital spends, our digital marketing and our uh, uh, tech and cloud hosting uh, services. So our overall city of digital spends uh, started to be the largest um, line item of expenditure and spend on the PNL. Right, so I think all of these personal experiences uh, brought us to questioning that as we start having more businesses and online businesses and digital businesses of the today and tomorrow, uh, a the working capital requirements are very different. Uh, B uh, the way these businesses need to be uh, assessed for their creditworthiness has to be relooked at, and third, what they need capital for is also very interestingly different, and that. You know, brings me to, uh, you know, another uh, uh, Silicon Valley uh, uh, name uh, in Chamath who talks openly that, you know, more than 40% of all all equity money raised by, by online businesses and digital startups are being spent on digital spends, are going back to Google, Facebook, and Amazon digital spends. And I think that's what brought GetVantage to uh, really look and explore uh, revenue-based financing. Uh, which is an alternative uh, ethos of how we not only measure risk of digital businesses, but also the creditworthiness, be able to give short-term capital advances for very specific purposes of these digital spends and raw material spends. Uh, and if we can, if we can give founders uh, 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 access to these small chunks of capital advance that allow them to focus on growing their revenues. Right, because all these digital spends have a clear pattern to revenue. These are all performance marketing, performance-driven uh, digital spends that have an impact on revenue and market and, 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 and growth. And that's where if you can now offer uh, this new way of giving these uh, short-term capital advances and working capital to businesses uh, and allow them to quickly grow for that quarter and really take back uh, and allow the business to pay back that capital uh, advance uh, as a form of small percentage of their future revenues, you're now making a very frictionless way for businesses, whether it be for seasonal spend, whether it be for a bridge round, whether it be for, you know, uh, before going to the next big round of equity or being able to achieve small targets for a quarter, for a year, right? Without diluting ownership, without diluting equity in your business. Uh, if you're able to frictionlessly get that capital and grow your 
business and revenue alternatively. I think that that goes back to the original thesis of balanced growth, right? As founders, we need to look at that if we can, uh, uh, you know, stop chasing, just raising tons of money, growing in one direction, to more being able to say we can have capital and keep proving a small goal, keep achieving a small target for every quarter, every year by doing that. Um, you you will start realizing that your needs as a business or the way you can grow a business is is far more sustainable and balanced. And so it's another alternative and an option uh, uh, that uh, we certainly feel that online businesses and digital businesses, be it a SaaS company, be it a direct-to-consumer product company, be a subscription business, um, it's it's it, it's properly it's that uh, small doses of growth capital. That's what Getvantage is is built on. No, it's awesome because I, I was about to get into, you know, who, what kind of companies you look for, et cetera. So uh, thank you for capping that off. So uh, SaaS businesses, D2C, uh, that's basically e-commerce, direct consumer businesses, uh, you know, I mean, where there is, there's just, uh, you know, you have inventory or you have a regular repeat income. Uh, I'm guessing those are the kind of businesses that would be a good fit for a get advantage. Yeah, no, look, and, and uh, I think these times have only further accelerated uh, that every small business, every SME business, which was even traditionally an offline business, right? These interesting times that we are in now uh, have only accelerated and pushed that every business, every SME now has to have yeah. an online channel of business, right? And increase their online and digital spend and, and build that online uh, segment of business and, and uh, uh, so it touches upon uh, all online sellers uh, small to medium businesses SMEs um, uh, you know and we're, we're getting into a world where we certainly have to be a, a highly more digital more transparent right. uh, way of not only doing our businesses but growing our businesses as well. um, I found uh, you know I, I, I'd read about Clearbank before I think they're probably the largest, uh, you know, alternative financing player in the world, uh, and they basically plug into a Shopify or WordPress, etc., to get data to to basically understand the businesses that they're uh, covering. Right? Yeah. Uh, is that the same kind of uh, method in which you'll understand who you're underwriting, or, or is there an underwriting process, or you just say, "Hey, this is the kind of capital that you need." Uh, we trust you. We're doing like a, a typical uh, equity investor who looks at, you know, their ability and then say, okay, this is the capital upfront. How does, uh, you know, get advantage uh, work? No, so uh, look, uh, you brought a more, more very important uh, piece at hand that fundamentally revenue-based financing is the MO, is the thesis, is, is how we want uh, uh, to... Uh, uh, price and disperse capital, but that has to underlining uh, layer has to be delivered. This has to be delivered uh, with a strong end-to-end fintech platform. It has to be technology that does the complete leg of, like you rightly said, we take access to new data points of these businesses. Right? You take, uh, uh, you know, gone are the days uh, of traditional lending where you look at. Rearview mirror way of looking at businesses last three years balance sheets and IT returns. I think businesses are so much more dynamic that the best way to not only underwrite uh, but 
not only measure the risk but the potential in the business is really looking at more real time data of their digital spends accounts of their digital revenue accounts right uh, and being able to pull all that data through a end to end api platform and in api stack is what uh, we we at getvantage first focused and spent a year in stealth mode putting the end to end platform together uh, which is which is as i say three parts to it right we do new data collection uh, for underwriting we in fact disburse digitally also so it's a more faster way to disburse uh, the capital in a very uh, special purpose and a, a specific purpose use and the third and the most important part which is uh, sure that the the collection also uh, is delivered digitally uh, uh, right from the the daily revenues that these business collect from their payment gateway nice. uh, and i think that's what drives get wanted to be able to service these digital businesses is that we can do all these three things completely tech and data driven right. so i think the last piece i wanted to share uh, uh, varun with all the founders very openly is i think enough is enough for all of us uh, to have done uh, uh, all that song and dance with raising equity money uh, yeah. from a, a select pool of investors and i think now even fundraising uh, can be non biased completely data and tech driven right so let your business and your numbers speak for it and as long as it's specific purpose and special purpose uh, uh, we all should be able to access capital to grow our businesses right and i think that's uh, the, the 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 passion that drives us as we build it on This seems uh, too good to be true. Is it expensive? Nah. <laughs> are, are you are you selling uh, me a Rolex in in a in a Timex box? No, no. Look, uh, 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 like I say, come experience it uh, to to know it in reality. Uh, I think uh, sometimes uh, we make something that is as simple uh, a little more complex. Uh, I don't think it's about being too good to be true. I think it's only about being. that if you can allow technology and you can allow uh certain measures right uh, so we are certainly de-risking the entire model from being a disciplined lender and adding discipline to the borrower because the the funds are also very special and specific purpose uh, and third is that you are also being made more disciplined as a borrower by by repaying uh, on a on a automated in a faster way right i think this adds the ability for everybody to take uh, a little more um, uh, uh, calculated risk and that allows us to not only offer it to a wider segment of new businesses that are still growing uh, but to come to your question about uh, pricing uh, no get wanted uh, gives a capital advance uh, charges one flat fee on top uh, which is repaid as a percentage of your future revenue so there is no hidden cost uh there is gone are the days of fixed interest rate 18% interest is respect of how my business does so this is a very risk reward uh a uh, play uh, that getwantage does with all its businesses uh we are still in the game uh, we are backing businesses to focus on their revenue and and it's one flat fee so you as a founder when you borrow you know what your cost of that capital is on day one right so you borrowed x you are paying uh you know a small percentage which is anywhere between 6 to 9% that's the flat fee that that we charge right and that's your cost of capital right now to tell you getwantage is also not in the business 
of funding this one time because if you notice the transparency and the openness and really why we call ourselves you know hashtag founder first is not just a hashtag for us it's about being founder friendly and open because when you as a business pay this back when you pay the 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 capital plus yeah. the fee back yeah varun uh, round one over there is there is no equity there is nothing so and get advantage in the business to do round two and round three will right right so even the pricing is transparent and if 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 we end up being that expensive uh, i don't think businesses and founders will want to work with us right so why wouldn't you take uh, equity in the company because you know uh, your your enabling them to multiply their value so i'm yeah. curious why you wouldn't take equity because this no, is so this seems to be similar to a debt round of financing in a way no so it goes back to the thesis that this has to be a very frictionless and a uh, uh, seamless way to access capital uh, if you look at and there are other options look i am also i'm always about a balanced approach so a business needs equity money at different times and there is there is angel funding there is venture capital uh, there are so many new models of equity funding also out there right uh, and then there is also uh, uh, different options of uh, venture debt out there where if you're taking a larger chunk of debt on your balance sheet uh, and you give some amount of convertible uh, and equity as well uh, but all those processes take a longer time to close varun so whenever you take equity in a business you end up going into different rights different paperwork different you have to go to the board okay. uh, it becomes a very different way of assessing a business and that adds to the friction and the time lag so whenever you're raising equity money or uh, uh, you know traditional loans you end up having to spend 3 months to 6 months to close around yeah. you have to be able to do this in 2 weeks yeah. or less right and that's where get want it comes in as a very very frictionless way um and yes it's it's tempting uh, uh to be uh, saying that we are letting equity valuable equity on the table uh but believe you me if businesses like uh to work with get advantage and continuously work on round 2 round 3 round 4 i think that will add more value to not only the business but even the way we are building get advantage uh bhavik amazing uh you know i'm sure get advantage is going to scale to new heights good luck on the on the new uh you know career uh and, and your new avatar sure. um are you hiring are you looking for people what can kind of the people looking for oh, no absolutely we uh you know as i was mentioning earlier the uh, current situation uh, has only further validated and accelerated the model uh, the demands through the roof businesses are going more online requirements for short term tenure and capital is is is, is at its peak uh, and i think people are looking at alternatives and these are the tailwinds that we are experiencing at get wanted so yes uh, we are actively hiring uh, we are actively growing our team um, uh, across all functions sales uh, marketing kudini uh, technology What's, no what's so your, we 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 are absolutely hiring anyone who has a background in finance um we are absolutely hiring a lot of people on uh, credit uh, operations uh, underwriting analyst roles uh, we are absolutely hiring a lot of account managers uh, in the sales role um 
But the technology, we are we are we are sorted. We build the platform. That's uh, and I have a very strong team. Uh, but but pretty much we are hiring across all the other functions. Uh, and more than just how being open for hiring, I think we are genuinely. And I say this with a pinch of salt. Um, we are genuinely open for business, Varun. Uh, so I want to send out a plea to all my my peer group and founders, uh, folks who are running digital businesses and online businesses. Uh, please come and work with us. Uh, we are absolutely dispersing and happy to look at your business and giving you just that uh, 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 back, backing and short-term capital you need to bounce back as you come out of this uh, 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 this, this crazy time. Uh, Pavik, amazing. Thanks so much for your time. This has been uh, fantastic. So Absolutely. Pleasure. Stay safe. And uh, I, I sign off with saying uh, stay cautious, stay optimistic. And that's the end of episode 19 with Bhavik Vasa. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for future episodes right here on Southern Startups with Varun Rumini. Stay safe.